0: After our holiday break, we're back with the Triathlete Hour, and we have a great first show of 2022 for you. Rocky Harris, the CEO of USA Triathlon, is talking with us about how he got into the sport after he caught a bug, an actual bug, not a metaphorical bug, on vacation. And how he left ASU to take the USAT job because of the potential he saw and what he thought he could improve in the triathlon community he loved. Plus. What USAT is working on this year, what he sees as the sport's biggest challenges, and what he's looking forward to. But first, Sid and I are back, too, with what we're looking forward to in 2022 and what we think you should be excited about. All of that after this break. Power your next adventure with Outside Plus. Our Outside Plus membership gives you access not just to exclusive triathlete content, but to content across all our network brands like Backpacker, Velo News, Outside Magazine, and Trail Runner. With an annual membership, you get two magazine subscriptions, two Velo Press books, a library of resources like yoga journal meditation classes and clean eating meal plans, gear and event discounts, access to Gaia GPS, dozens of training plans through today's plan software and a free finisher picks package each year, all for just $99. This is the world's best resource for training, nutrition, know-how and how-tos. Join at triathlete.com backslash outside plus that's outside P L U S one word.com. All right, we are back, Sid. People, people have been
1: demanding i know i'm excited happened new year as well it's it's good to be back it's good to good to catch up it does feel it when i was like oh god i'm catching up on the podcast today gosh it's been forever feels like ages been like a month. How is winter training
0: going? I feel like you know we're now in like the bulk. You're back in Girona. Everyone's in Girona. It's oh, a thing everyone's, to do.
1: It's it's the new. Someone described. They're like, is it the new boulder and or the new yes. Nisa? And I'm like, well, yeah, I guess so. It's getting more and more popular. Um, I mean, it's always full of cyclists, but there's definitely a huge amount of triathletes around at the moment. Um, they kind of it started, yeah, middle of last year, and it seems so yeah loads there's a real good buzz around I mean obviously COVID is still lingering and hanging around so that's affecting things a little bit um but yeah loads of triathletes around it's pretty cold and I thought I would be ready for it this second winter (laughs) for me but um and especially having been in 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 Boulder just before Christmas but it's it's kind of like a damp cold here so I feel like I'm wearing more layers um but having said that it's touch wood so far it's mainly blue sky sunny days so but you have to like time your riding outside to that <laughs> real like middle like, three like, years hours of the day yeah yeah um and then you'll go around the corner and you go into like the shade and it's like the sun has not touched this part of the land for like five months you feel like you're going into Mordor um in Lord of the Rings and like there's frost on the ground and the temperature drops like 10 degrees and then you go around the next corner, and you like cross this line and you're back in back in the sunshine again. The other thing about like winter riding
0: where there's lots of hills and stuff is, yeah, like some of the valleys will be ice, even if it's yeah. perfectly nice out. We were I was in San Diego this past weekend and biking and we were going up, whatever, a big uh, popular climb yeah. in San Diego. And someone was telling me, like a friend of mine had slid out on ice and fallen going uphill <laughs> one winter. Okay. Because yeah. it's just, you don't know, yeah. you can't see it. It's like black ice. Yeah, yeah
1: that's it. Like, yeah. yeah, I rode, I mean, and I rode yesterday, And did like a cool gravel adventure ride and yeah sections of that were frosty and white on the ground and then it would be like um you know like gorgeous gravel blue sky sunshine and then and I was I got the route from a friend and it was great and I was absolutely loving it and then I'm like hmm, is this, some, is it, am I really on a path now? Or is it sort of narrowed and narrowed and narrowed and then almost turned into sort of like overgrown? I was like, the last time someone went on here, I'm not sure, you're in the middle of nowhere. I was like, no one knows I'm here. <laughs> and then- No one knows I'm here. Yeah, and then it was like, just suddenly this descent appears. And I'm like, this is like single track mountain bike, sheer rock face down. And I'm not qualified on my gravel bike to have to do this. <laughs> A former, yes. like a friend of mine who's a former
0: triathlete asked me, but like hasn't done in a while, asked me yesterday, what is gravel riding? And I was like, well, it's like, it's like in between road. And it's like, if you took your road bike on the dirt, yeah, uh, but it's not mountain biking. yeah.
1: <laughs> so, yeah. Pretty much. yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> also very trendy, just like Girona, it's yeah. the hot new
1: thing. That's it. Yeah. It's very good. Well, the important thing is, you know, the coffees are back, cafes are back. We've got a few new cafes opened up, which is always good. And the most exciting thing that happened today was La Comuna turned, t- changed their menu back to how it was before Christmas I got back after Christmas and they changed their menu so you could only get their amazing breakfast burrito and stuff till 12 o'clock and I'm like that's just rude i don't i can't get to a cafe before 12 it's like three o'clock in the afternoon when i want to come in after training and i want my eggs and my avocado what
0: were we just saying this this is a pro pro athlete i
1: remember
0: some some pro i was working with was explaining some like very specific issue they had with their bike computer and i was like yeah this is what's known as an edge use case (laughs) in developer speak (laughs) like there are not many people
1: exactly this is a problem i went into la Comuna and they changed the menu back so i can get my burrito all day i'm happy all life is good again the world has settled
0: <laughs> i feel like this is also the time of year when a lot of people are putting in well maybe this isn't true over there but mlk weekend was just this past weekend it's a long weekend here in the u.s and at least out in california it's a popular like big training weekend people do like ride the whole coast or they'll do big training this is the time that like everyone kind of does big training camps head to somewhere warm
1: put in a bunch of miles go to Arizona. Yeah. I have to to say, I've had to take myself a little bit off social media of getting sort of intimidated by these massive sessions that people are putting out at this, at this time of year, look at my power and, I'm doing this and that sort of thing. And then. I mean, you were probably really intimidated by my massive workouts this last weekend. Well, (laughs) well, I don't know them because I had to take myself off social media. So I wasn't (laughs) following Kelly. (laughs) Tell me, what did you do? What
0: was your. uh, So I went to a training camp and before anyone asked, people were like, why are you going to triathlon training camp? Are you doing any triathlons? (laughs) No, no, I am not. (laughs) (laughs) I went because friends were going and it sounded warm and I was like, oh, we'll ride our bikes. Yeah. I I haven't been riding my bike and we rode 120 miles with 11,000 feet of elevation and I haven't been riding my bike and so I pulled out you know all the tricks you pull out like all the tricks to like get through that (laughs) it is uh I feel like some point you do a whole thing about all the tricks you learn over the years you don't even realize you learn I think you like I think there's
1: an article there for sure. Yeah. An article there for sure. Like to, to, yeah. like to fake it through things you're not prepared for, right? The, yeah. I, I, my I favorite. i slightly jealous that it was like a sunny, mm-hmm. warm training. Like, like I said, it's it's blue sky and sun here, but it is cold. Um, yeah. I do crave that warmth of the sun that you just go, oh, that, that heat that I can feel coming from that yellow thing in the sky. would oh, <laughs> be yeah, nice. Yeah.
0: the other thing that was nice that i don't know i mean it sounds like you're doing a lot of training by yourself too the other thing i missed was the like eight hour rides where you're tell me more about your life plan.
1: We have eight hours.
0: Yes. Let's have a long discussion about why you should or shouldn't have kids, right? Like,
1: <laughs> that's. I've been a, I've got a long ride tomorrow and I failed to find anyone to ride with me. And so I'm like, right, I'm going to have those conversations with myself and it'll be my left right. shoulder and my right shoulder talking to each other. Yeah. I do a lot of like fake interviews
0: in my head when I'm by yeah. myself. But yeah, I missed, I missed the like random long. So that was nice. I think a lot of people have missed that over the last two years, um, which one of the things we did Over this break is we launched uh, what we're calling team triathlete. So we launched like a little team for our triathlete members. So if you are a triathlete or an outside plus member, which is our membership at our company, uh, you can be a part of our team. It's a benefit for our members. And we launched a Slack group. And I got to say, I was kind of I was really nervous about what kind of response we get would get. And people are like overwhelmingly just excited to talk about triathlon. (laughs) Like, I think everyone's just been like, I haven't got to talk about triathlon for two years.
1: (laughs) I have And it's that kind of like, okay, you know, it's still virtual and it's still sort of not that face to face, but still, I think there's just this outpouring that, and especially there's like that slight glimmer of hope that we might start getting back to full. Yeah. It's still not. And we timed
0: this. Yeah. To be clear, like, we timed this because. 10 weeks out from the first 70.3s of the year in like the big ones in North America, which are Galveston and Oceanside, 10 weeks out starts next uh, on Monday. Yeah. So we were kind of like, then everyone can st- like start training, like their 10 week training program together. Yes. And we'll be at Oceanside and we'll be at Galveston and we can all like yeah,
1: bond. Well, I yeah. noticed as well, like on the, the chat, on the, on the membership like loads of people are brand new new triathletes like this is my first year doing things or or maybe it was like I tried to start last year or the year before and then COVID hit so this is like the first time I'm going to be racing and and I did um and I did a, a YouTube conversation with um through a guy that I think it was actually from the triathlete magazine Zoom Zwift Swift session. Anyway, reached out. Oh, the Zwift, right. Yeah. Anyway, we did a session, which was great, real energy buzzer. But, and a, a couple of the athletes on there were kind of like, yeah, I started triathlon like a couple of years ago, but haven't actually managed to race yet. So I think everyone's just excited. Well, it goes back to the whole like,
0: it's hard or a sport that's so defined by racing. Like, if you don't do a triathlon, are you a triathlete? Yeah. You're, or are you just like someone who rides their bike and runs and swims? a lot (laughs) (laughs) and right now I'm just someone who rides their bike and runs and swims a lot (laughs) I am not doing a triathlon and so I think that's like we're so race focused it's been kind of an existential crisis for the sport the
1: last two years yeah
0: yeah we gotta make up our own
1: races gotta get over it move on isn't that what they call Strava segments (laughs) I know I I don't know somebody asked me if there was like
0: such a, like an FKT for triathlon, like do people do triathlon FKTs? And I was like, there's like one that I know of. There's not many. Oh, what's the one that you, well, like apart from. Well, like, so FKTs are running, right? And it's like usually like a big running route and you like, and there's like recorded times and you know, right. And so the thing about FKTs versus Strava segments is that they're vetted and like, well, like you can't just make an FKT around your driveway, right? Like they are ones that are famous And so there's one famous one that is a swim and a bike and a run where you like bike to this lake, you like swim across the lake and you like run up this mountain and then you Hmm. go back. And, but like most of them are not multi-sport. Like they're only like the only one I've ever heard of that's like a multi-sport one. So.
1: Well, there we go. Maybe, maybe this year we'll start doing our own (laughs) FKTs. Just finding. I mean, that'd be pretty cool to do. Like, yeah. I mean, it's a little bit, Yeah. Oh, anyway, that could go
0: down a hole. <laughs> oh, right, you're thinking about it. The thing yeah. that that's hard about FKTs and open roads is, like, traffic rules. Yeah. And that's that's the, the challenge. Yeah. So,
1: Or go off-road but... and do it gravel.
0: <laughs> exactly. See? <laughs> thinking. <Yeah. laughs> but there are a lot of things I feel like we're excited about this year. A lot of stuff we've been talking about coming up. So what are you most excited about for 2022?
1: I think I'm... I'm actually really excited about St. George in May. Yeah. I think there's suddenly kind of like a lot of hype about it. I mean, I still think we're not 100% sure on who's going to be there, but there's more and more talk that there's going to be a few big matchups of athletes. And I think everyone's pretty excited about that. Um, I mean, I think we're pretty, pretty
0: sure now, right, that the Norwegians and Jan gonna be and there. Lionel are all coming. Yeah, I think that's
1: like nine, you know, yeah. you never know for sure, but. Yeah, exactly. And obviously true. there's yeah. a lot that can happen in the next five right. four months now, but yeah. So, and I think it's just suddenly got this, oh my God, we've actually potentially got a world championship race happening. It's this year now. It's not like, la- you know, it's not a year away. Um I'm excited because yeah, I respect the history and what CODA means to everyone, but I'm just excited that St. George potentially it's just a different, yeah. It's a different. If it, it's a different course, do I think the same athletes will potentially rise to the top? Yes, because that's why they're the best in the world. But I think it mixes. Yeah, I mean, up I think Jan, down. I think Jan maybe can win on any yeah. course. Yeah, he exactly. Wants to win on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I think it's going to be. A, it's a different race. It's in, intriguing with the men's lineup. I think with the women's, it's a pretty open, open field. Um,
0: Who is your pick after? Because we were trying to put together our St. George preview the other day. And I got Daniela, Anne, and Lucy. And then I'm like, who's my fourth and fifth pick here?
1: I would need to go back because, you know, you look at someone like Laura Phillip, like Mm -hmm. incredible athlete, hasn't done that many um, full distance. But if she's on song, like you can't, there's no one who really can run better. And that course could probably suit her um you know dark horses like your sky Monch, your cat matthews he's my she's my wild card yeah Yeah. those kind of ones um you're always going to get and this is the thing with st george i think there's always going to be those athletes that maybe had like you know even you don't know ruth Astle or justine matthew who relatively new on the scene last year but had some good results but who knows in the mix Um, Yeah, i was i for sure like
0: sarah crowley laura phillip were kind of yeah. You know you gotta pay attention to them uh heather jackson's my like you never know you don't want to count her out on saint george uh sky and cat were kind of my wild card but it's a lot harder to pick whereas i feel like the men's race were like norwegians jan lionel yeah sam long throwing there for our wild card and you, that's like who you want to pay attention and yeah and attention probably to. like i'd yeah. say
1: probably on the men like a joe skipper if he gets it if he gets it right um didn't he retire and that's why no, think joe gamble's retired i mixed right. him up that's it. Joe <laughs> Gamble, just yeah yeah but that's why i think it's it's exciting. Like it is pretty open. And the other thing with it being in May is that normally in Kona, you've seen everyone's form over the right. year and okay, that's never necessarily an indication in Kona, but for May, we're kind of coming out, we're coming into it pretty blind. Like there's not that many races before St. George. and We're going to base it all on their Strava and their Instagram. posts, <laughs> <codes>. exactly. <laughs> so yeah. So I think that's kind
0: of my, yeah. No, Saint George is gonna be really cool. Um, I think everyone's actually starting to get excited about it because it is gonna be a pretty big matchup, uh, for sure on the men's side, um, yeah. and then on the women's. And like, while the age group race is still a little funky, like let's not say it's good or bad. It's just yeah. it is a little weird because there were people who were signed up before it became a world championship, and it, it's odd. The pro race is like a li- normal world championship field. Yep. And like you and I were talking because I was like, "Oh, are you racing it? I can't even keep track because people qualified
1: 2 years ago. yeah so there's a lot of exactly. people where
0: I'm like, "Wait, you're racing?" yeah
1: <laughs> Yeah, no, it's going to be um I think it'll be it'll be pretty good. Um and almost maybe more so because and this is no disrespect to the age groupers, but because I think the age group focus for Worlds is probably still on Kona, but I do yes, think okay. those age groupers that are racing in St. George, I can't wait to race with everybody and see everybody again. But I think there seems to be more hype with the pro race, more focus on on the pro race, which is cool. There's
0: definitely more attention on the pro race um, for St. George. Yeah. Because, yes, I think the majority of people, like the people, the age group, like all the pros who qualified for 2020 Worlds or 2021 are doing St. George. Yeah. Whereas all the age groupers who qualified for 2020, 2021, or 2022 had to pick, and like 95% of them picked Kona. Exactly. And then there's a lot of people, there's not a lot. There are some people who qualified for multiple of those years <laughs> so they have like a, a stack of Kona so they're you're like what do I yeah. do
1: they've already qualified
0: four years out <laughs> like, yeah I mean I, I've talked to some friends and yeah they're like well I'm already doing St. George and I qualified for Kona for t- three years in a row so <laughs> I have a Kona for next year you're like well so it is definitely a little crazy um but it'll sort itself out yeah I
1: think. yeah it's, be good
0: and then obviously we have Kona which I am actually very excited about the two day I know it's like, I'm glad I am not the race director. Let's just say that. Like, I know it's logistically going to be yeah. brutal, totally brutal.
1: No, I, but- again, I think I'm excited to see that format. Um, <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. I don't I don't envy the race team um, in in putting on a two-day event and the volunteers in the island and stuff. Um, thank you in advance, we'll say. But um, I think that's going to be interesting as well. But heck, there was... There's actually so much going on this year. Like you've got There's so much going on. World champs in May. World champs in October. 17.3 worlds. You've got Commonwealth Games coming up. We've got sub seven, sub eight. We've got the PTO tour, which is going to be interesting to see how that that plays out and how, if that still attracts. Yeah. Oh, and the Collins I mean, and the Collins, Cup, and the Collins which Cup, is quite soon. If people are focusing on Kona as well as St George, it's and- August. I and think and I think they space them so you could. You can technically do
0: yeah almost all of them yeah totally if you're christian blumenfeld
1: yeah <laughs> yeah, that's because <right. laughs> they've
0: like spaced yeah. it so it's yeah. like i think they're gonna do sub seven sub eight in the spring i'm like yeah. pretty sure about that and then they're gonna do may and then you have the pto races i think in like june and july and then yeah. collins cup in august and another, then another pto
1: in september and then yeah and then, then seven in october three worlds after Kona, right. yeah there's and especially super league and <laughs> that's it and I was about to say we haven't even thrown in the super league and off the back of like the super league series that they did last year with the with the teams and stuff like that throw that in the mix and yeah they said
0: they're going to do um like a like super like everyone in the sport is definitely trying to Pick right dates if that makes sense. Like yeah. fit everything in together because they know that it's not it doesn't really benefit anyone to have athletes like split across things. Yeah. So Super League is definitely like trying to fit their little like mini series in again, and they're looking at the World Triathlon calendar because yeah. they're obviously like more short course. Um, but it is just too many. It's almost it's almost too much. It's I know much it's going to be crazy.
1: It's going to be a long year. It's going to be exciting though for the triathlon geeks around us. Me putting my hand up there. <laughs> 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 you're like and i actually think oh mm, knock on something most of it will happen yeah i know touch wood um yeah i think so and then not triathlon related but it's the winter olympics that's pretty exciting yes. as well like as a sports nut we get to see uh, and i've been getting i've been getting excited over like over winter i've been watching some of the cycle cross and like the mm. biathlon and the skiing and stuff like that which is all pretty cool as well
0: Cycle cross isn't in the winter Olympics, but yes, I also Sorry, was watching. No, cycle cross isn't
1: in the winter Olympics, right, but right. I was, um, I was, I was, <laughs> when I was doing my ride yesterday, I was like, which turned into a bit more cycle cross at times. And I was like, I could do cyclocross cross cuz on TV they all ha- they always have one foot clipped out. They're always out of the pedals. <laughs> and I was like, don't think it's the same as tipping no. out. <laughs> I watched one of the world cups and I was just like, yep,
0: nope. I would definitely crash, 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 <laughs> I mean, <they're> just <laughs> sliding down just on my sliding. ass, the bike in the air. <laughs> the Olympics do start in oh, it's like less than 3 Gosh. weeks now. Yeah. And an interesting thing that I don't know I mean, we just had Olympics, so I kind of get why people weren't yeah. totally prepared for this next yeah. one and it's sort of catching everyone by surprise. But I don't think people are paying attention to how strict it's going to be. It's going to be, like, really, really, really strict uh, And compared to – I mean, people said Tokyo was. Tokyo was not. Like, China, nobody's allowed in besides, like, credentialed athletes. Like, you have to have an app on your phone and documenting, like, your COVID status every day for t- – two weeks before you're even like allowed on a flight to China. They're doing chartered flights only for athletes only. That's the only way they're getting in. I don't even think they release tickets. I think they're just, it's like well, only they're going to fill. stands Yeah. I think, with, they just,
1: I think they just announced they're not releasing tickets. I hadn't realized it was quite so soon. It has suddenly like crept up really mm-hmm. quickly. It feels like we haven't even like had trials and confirmed teams and stuff like that. But um, I think as well, the difference for the winter Olympics is with the new variant that's just gone rife throughout the world. It's so it, yeah, it's, I mean, how do you control that? Cause if somebody tests positive, it's likely that everyone in like everyone's going to get it and that's just going to ruin things. Over. I mean, it's actually
0: going to be pretty brutal. I think there's going to be a very high number of people who qualified and don't make it yeah. to China because with the app and with you having to be clear for two weeks before they put you on a plane, um, there's a lot of talk on the ground about there may be some, what's the word I'm looking for? There is some concern, yes. right? That some countries yes. might put some pressure on certain situations and like get some athletes bumped yes. out of the lineup. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. So it's going to be messy. Yes, it is. And fun That's and exciting. Fun. <laughs> and all <laughs> I know, things and it's the Olympics again, is. And it's <"Hey."> <laughs> All right. And then what else are you looking forward to yourself, Sid? Tell me what you are doing this year.
1: What am I doing? Um, well, yeah, coming over to St. George. So I'm excited to come over and do that and race right. a different course. Um, race-wise, I have Roth in the summer. So excited about that as well. I think just um hopefully getting back with the squad a little bit in, in Boulder or wherever that is. It's a bit weird. We haven't got we haven't done we're not doing a camp as such like we'd normally be going to camp about now and we're not doing that yet but we are doing one in April so I will be excited about that I think um like me personally I'm just excited off the back of a couple of the races I had last year um I'm getting older but I still feel I'm improving and I can see the signs of the improvement so hopefully just building on that and being able gonna to be the stay 38 in year old competitive shape <laughs> and in, keep making my own improvements. Yeah. How about you? Maybe the, uh, the, the 38 year old who sets the
0: American half marathon record. I know which we kid. saw this past weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And then, yeah, I mean, there's two, there was Sarah Hall and Kiara. De- yeah. De-Mantel. So Sarah I did like the half, one. Sarah got the half marathon world, uh, American record. Sorry. And then the, yeah. That oh, was pretty, impressive. and Kira got the full and two nineteen eleven side point. It's fast, yeah. shit. Yeah, and yeah. and if anybody doesn't know the story, you need to go and look this up because it's the craziest thing. She quit running; like she was a really good collegiate runner, like beat all like all the big names you kind of know coming out of college. Like thought she was going, like, everyone thought she was going to be huge. Got injured a lot, quit running. Like when it became a realtor, had two kids, started running just casually again, like around the neighborhood for like stress relief. And her first marathon is something like, I don't know, three hours, whatever, like around three hours. And then she's just gotten like better. And I mean, obviously she was good. Like obviously yeah, she has yeah, talent. Right? Degree. But then in the last, so then last six years, she went back kind of slowly amped her. And well, now she has the
1: American record in the marathon. Because I want to be fair, I was quite baffled. Cause I was like, I haven't heard of this name. Like, and, you know, I guess I'd been, well, I felt I'd known some of the American runners with the trials and everything over the past few years. And well, she races. was unsponsored. And I was mean, like, she actually set – she
0: ran some really fast times during COVID, but yeah. they were in kind of those, like, projects where people, like, set up a race for yep. – and so – um, and she was unsponsored. She only just signed with Nike recently because she was still working. She is still working as a full-time realtor and, like, doing <laughs> so, her workouts so, on the track at yeah. dark.
1: Is there something about athletes, either when they retire or in between or whatever – and real estate agents or realtors, as you I know, it's it a says. thing. Like I think it's because it's the lifestyle. Like uh, you can yeah. be like, "Oh, I'm going to go for a
0: ride," and then I'm going to show a house, and yeah. then because it seems yeah. like that's what everyone does. <laughs> it is what everyone does. Yeah, yeah.
1: Maybe that's right. what I should do. What is so? What's two two nineteen? What's that broken down?
0: It's about five. Is she averaged five nineteen? I believe Ooh. for the whole thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Ow. I ran. No, I was going to say I ran a 519 5- mile once, but no, I ran a
1: 522 mile once. Yeah, I should <laughs> have sure <laughs> run a 519 mile once. I might have done it for 30 seconds. Does that yeah. count? Right, right.
0: <laughs> but there are actually, I mean, and you see this in triathlon too, to degree, but it's really happening, especially in women's running in the U.S. There's quite a few athletes that have really they've been putting on times during COVID and performances that are impressive and there just hasn't been like a a huge stage for them. And a lot of them are kind of unsponsored or working other jobs or they're doing it in between things. Um, And then they go and get, you know, fourth at New York marathon or six at Boston marathon or like whatever, not fourth, fourth was Molly, but you know, seven.
1: And that's fascinating. Cause I wonder what the, like, is it because we were working from home? So you missed the commute or you had a lot more time, but also the flip side of that, which what I thought happened in the UK was actually During COVID and lockdown, women and sports suffered more because they are predominantly still the main carer for families and stuff. So it's really cool to see in the U.S. And I think there's other reasons there's this huge boom in women's running. Right. I was going to say, I think it's specifically women's running in the U.S. has really been accelerating for the last like five.
0: Yeah. Ten years. Yeah. And you kinda like had this like sub elite group, which then obviously out of a sub elite group is gonna come a couple of elites and and it kind of goes from there.
1: And Um, you only need like I always say you you only need a couple of people to have those breakout results and it the the momentum that builds off that and then people see that it can be done and you know, the number of tweets on social media after that race of going, This is amazing, it's a mum and she's you know, and, and working a job and stuff and then they start to think, Well, maybe I can do that or it's somebody else that sees it it's just yeah you just gotta show people the sport <laughs> <laughs> they,
0: uh there's also a lot of arguments or not arguments but like the olympic trial standard for the marathon for women was i want to say soft but it was like achievable for yeah. a lot like and so there was a huge field going into 2020 yeah that there was like what, what was it it was 280 300 and something women and so then they really tightened it up this for 2024 and I was one of the people who also thought that was dumb. Like I was like this huge this standard that was like 242 or 244, yeah. or whatever it was, was achievable. It prompted this huge boom in women's running. The that like massive field had like all these rippling effects. Like I thought that was really important. And I thought that was I was also like, why did we tighten it to God? What is it now? It's like 236 or 237. So that's, what, but that's a lot. That's a lot tighter. We're going to yeah. lose. Like it's going to really because, hurt the sport. But yeah. where I'm going with this is um, at Houston this past weekend. 15 people hit the standard and so there's an argument to be made that like people
1: rise to it when they have the support and they like know that it's possible yeah Yeah. but I don't think you'll get with that mind you if they're hitting the standard now and you're still like a few years out from but I think yeah there's that when it was last whatever it was now two years ago the standard I think a lot of people and we saw a lot of the triathletes who are good runners like went oh I could get to Olympic trials that's like totally within a great and even if it's like so and
0: not quite it like kind of you're like maybe i could and it gives you like a thing to you
1: know try for yeah and that's pretty cool like Mm -hmm. it's very cool and so yeah it'd be interesting to see then if they've tightened it that much but as you said i do think maybe that momentum built over the last couple of years is just going to carry so many people forward and hopefully raise up and there'll still be a good bunch of people qualifying it and duking it out. See and now we just need to do that in triathlon. Yes. That is the key. Yeah. I do, I, so. I do think though like the women's side of the sport is gaining like oh, momentum yeah. quickly. Like yeah, and I think every I think with the men like you're getting a couple of standout athletes performances. And I think that will drag a lot of the men through, but you're getting like the Norwegians and obviously you've got Jan. Whereas I think with the women, maybe you had like Daniela and obviously Lucy last year. And then you've got a few athletes in certain elements of the sport. But I just think actually there's this wave coming through that's a bigger mass of the women that are taking the standard forward. And that's why like when you look forward to St. George, you go, there's not necessarily anyone that's, it's going to stand out like there could be a huge number of women that are are, are on the podium
0: well there'll be three people that are on the Well, podium, there'll be three people but- on the
1: podium <laughs> <good>. Damn you! <laughs> yeah. anyway it's gonna be an
0: exciting year lots of sports lots of triathloning
1: yeah lots of stuff happy day uh, and we are back now so we'll be back Yay. almost every week all those people Nearly now that's now that we're asking where the podcast is are going like Oh, no, no, that's that's too much already.
0: <laughs> like, okay, that was good, guys. All right,
1: well, we'll be back. We will see
0: you again next week. Thanks for chatting, Sid. Thanks, Kelly. Right, this week we're talking to rocky harris ceo of usat uh you started as ceo in 2017 and you just got your contract extended through 2028 does that mean like you can't be fired now is that is that what that means
2: uh, yeah i think you can always get fired <laughs> I mean, it just makes it so it shows the commitment uh for me and the board uh-huh. um and and really to me it's more of a signal that uh that our board and others feel like our sports head in the right direction that right. our organization's doing the right thing so it's it's uh you know it's an example of what they feel about the overall organization in sport right now, which is really good. And um, just happy to be able to keep my family in one place for a long time. When you work in sports, it's it's not always easy to to find a job you love and a place you love living. And so when I got that combination here, it just made sense to 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 get married instead of just be you know kind of together.
0: <laughs> if you're in Colorado Springs, you came from Phoenix. So, I mean, I'm going to ask you because these are hot triathlon spots. Which one's better, Colorado or Arizona?
2: Yeah, I think uh, Colorado to me is the the epicenter of the sport. I think that. You know, you look at Southern California and how the the sport wouldn't be here without, uh, you know, Mission Beach and, you know, the the history there. And there's still a really active community there. But we all know what happened with Boulder in the 70s, 80s and, and 90s with the endurance community. And that's really spread through all of Colorado, really an outdoor community. Everybody's fit. I mean, I have like Olympians and all these elite athletes living in my street. My kids are like hanging out with them. It's a it's a different environment because we live in a small community here of about 500,000 people, which is small to me, a small city I've lived in. Um, what makes Phoenix really unique and special is the ability to train uh, nine months of the year outdoors. Like and, uh, and the, uh, but the, the, like everything in Arizona, it's so new. And so the, they just don't have the history that, that every, every, you know, that, that, Colorado has in particular. So I really love training in Colorado. I think it's, I think it's better than, than anywhere in the world. Um, and I think that, that high altitude training is, is a lot of fun, especially when you bring fr- friends here from uh, sea level, it's a lot of okay. fun to see what happening to them.
0: <laughs> and then do you go back to Arizona and kick everyone's butt? Cause you're, you know elevation trained?
2: Uh, yeah, I feel like I do. And I think that like what I actually think that what's better in Arizona is road uh, uh, cycling. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot more protected paths. There's places where you can go and feel safe. I think that that's probably the the biggest uh, the benefit to, to training in Arizona and the outdoor pools, which is a lot of fun. Right. Um, right. But nothing beats being able to run out you know, go outside my, my front door and within, you know, two miles hit the Rocky Mountains. Um, that that's real training right
0: there. Uh, People can't see because it's a podcast, but out your back window behind you is like the Rockies, snow covered looks lovely. So,
2: oh yeah, that's Pike's peak right there, which by the way, I I always try to convince everyone to do either the ascent or the Pike's peak marathon, which Mm is, you know, 7,800 feet and climbing over a half marathon. And then if you decide to run back down, that's the full marathon. So anyone wants to come and join me and do that one year, you can, you can come crash with me and we'll, we'll, we'll see how fun, how much fun you have at doing that. (laughs)
0: So I wanted to talk about how you got, you know, you got into triathlon because you said, you know, when you work in sports, you're all over. So before this, you were at ASU. Um, I, I suspect you still root for the Sun Devils. And then before that, you were major league soccer. And before that, you worked NFL. So I mean, that's like all over the place. How did you even end up then in triathlon? It's not like you came from running or cycling.
2: No, so it's it's a it's a long story. I'll do my best to keep short. Uh, so I got into endurance sport. My dad was a, a football and track coach, so I was always um, a competitive athlete, always running. You know, I learned it. I I was. Used to laugh that my dad, uh, when I got in trouble, he had this game called Run for Fun, which was I had to do running drills and run to to you know to. So I was always running, but not not for fun actually. Okay. And so I always saw uh, endurance sport as like a you know, when you make mistakes, you're you're forced to run or you're forced to do these things. And then my I met my my wife when I lived in Houston, Texas. I was working at the Texans at the time, and she was into long distance cycling. And so I really didn't know much about it outside of, I I rode mountain bikes growing up and I was a BMXer and really enjoyed cycling. So I decided to join her in an MS-150, a fundraising ride from Houston to Austin, where you ride 150 miles. So I trained for that and I just loved it. And I just like fell in love immediately. And so did cycling for multiple years. And then we went to Belize on a vacation and I got bit by a bug and got an infectious disease and for a year, I couldn't do any physical activity. So I got like, I
0: thought for second, you got, like metaphorically, like you got bit by the
2: triathlon. I should use that. <laughs> um, I got bit by a literal bug and got an infectious <laughs> disease. And I couldn't even I, I the thing that made me most mad is I couldn't even drink a beer that whole year. I couldn't. But I really what it did is it allowed me when you're not moving like I was always training. Our, my dad was a weightlifting coach, like I said, in track. So I was always lifting weights or exercising. And when that got taken away from me, it really messed with my mental health. Mm. Like I was struggling just in general because I was having these physical issues with this uh, infectious disease. It was more issue to me as I was just used to being active. And so when I started getting better and kind of healing from it, I was like, I need a real challenge, like something that's really going to push me to, to, you know, to push myself because that was what I needed at the time. So I was Googling like tough challenges, physical challenges and, and triathlon came up and I was like, you know what? I want to do a triathlon. Like I swam growing up. I was terrible at it, but I did. And I always felt like I was a decent runner. And then I, you know, I love cycling now. So I just jumped into it and, and trained for two months, uh, for, for a little, uh, sprint triathlon in the Gulf of Mexico, which by the way, I wouldn't recommend your first one to jump into, (laughs) an ocean swim that starts at six in the morning when it's raining out and the pitch black of the Gulf of Mexico, but got through it. And I remember at the end of that race, it's one of my favorite finishes. I was actually – Probably this one of the slowest people that raced it because I was going. I was literally to finish to show myself that I could do it. Right. With very little training, which wasn't very smart. Um, but I, I had tears running down my face as I crossed the finish line, and I was like, okay, I accomplished something. I did something. I set out to do, and I did it. And I'm back, is what I felt like. And so that's where I didn't only literally get bit by the bug. I, I did get bit <laughs> by the triathlon bug. And I got hooked after that. And I think it's not just triathlon, it's endurance sports. It's keeping myself moving. It's enjoying my community and and the the environment around me. Um, It's all the things that triathlon represents that I love. Um, And so now I'm really into trail running. I'm really into anything long distance uh, I'll do, anything mid-distance I'll do, anything swim, bike, or run I'll do.
0: So when you, before you, I would assume now that you're the USA triathlon CEO, Triathlon's part of your your work, but before when you were you know football and uh, and soccer and everything else, how did you kind of incorporate all your training? I mean, you were doing the regular age group balance work thing, right?
2: Yeah, and I think it didn't didn't always work out for me. I mean, there was one race I remember where um, we had a, I I was working at Arizona State, and we had an away game at Stanford, and we got in like at five in the morning, four in the morning. I remember it was actually four in the, three or four in the morning. We landed. And I got to my house and had to pack my, I was doing a triathlon the next day because I'm crazy like that. And, and I get to the, and I basically just go and grab my bike and go straight there and sleep on the ground until the race starts. And I, and I had a terrible race that day. Right, I would
0: think, yeah,
2: obviously, right. Um, but I, I, you know, what I found was I had to be really efficient with my training and, what and i'm somebody who's very competitive and likes to be the best at what i do so i had to figure out how i could do that and it took me actually years later um, after making that mistake of hiring a coach and that mm-hmm. actually helped me be very efficient with my time so i actually found out when i did an analysis of my time i was probably training eight to ten hours a week but i was probably putting three to four hours into my my planning and thinking through it am i doing the right and a lot of like just mental energy into like am I doing the right things and right, trying to right. shift things? And I was like analyzing it on my own. And like, it was a mess, right? It was totally not not what I should. Have. So when I, when I hired a coach, I said, I can only train five to seven hours. So I actually lessen the time, but I needed to be really efficient. And that's how I found I started having more success. Oh, okay. I was able to hire a coach. They made it more efficient. I was able to use every minute wisely. And, and, and now I'm feeling much better about my training over the last maybe seven or eight
0: years. Because uh, you're still racing, right? I mean, you're still, like, yeah, I, still I mean, do. You're still doing Pikes Peak and local yes. triathlons and all that.
2: Okay. Yeah, I do a lot of local triathlons. I'll usually do a 70.3 every year. And then I do uh, like I did a 50 mile run last year, race last year run. Um, and then I did a 50K the year before. So just kind of doing some long distance running too. Got
0: it. And so then uh, obviously there are lots and lots of h group triathletes in the world. You were a regular age of traveler. What made you think, you know what? This sport, I can run it. I can be in charge. What made you decide to apply for that, that CEO job?
2: Yeah, so when I was at Arizona State, uh, we got a, a substantial donation of about $32 million mm-hmm. to start men's hockey. And I, my job as chief operating officer was to analyze these opportunities and put plans together and how we were going to implement it effectively. Um, because, uh, you know, one of the best laws ever, federal laws, is Title IX, We were required to add uh, an equivalent amount of uh, of female participation sports. So we added two. We added lacrosse and women's triathlon. And uh, women's triathlon was mostly because I had experience in it and I knew it. I I thought the demo was perfect for Tempe, Arizona, where we were. We had a pool. There was no capital improvements we had to make. So that was one of the sports we added. And then I became an advocate for the sport. I started going around to conferences, athletic directors on behalf of USA Triathlon and presenting about the value of adding triathlon um, at a university. So I got uh, some uh, I built some relationships with the board and mostly staff like Tim Yant and others through that process. So when the job um, opened up, uh, somebody I knew actually contacted or that, that was new Barry Siff, who was running the search at the time. And they contacted Barry saying, hey, Rocky actually the perfect person for this. And I hadn't really thought about I didn't really honestly know what national governing bodies right. were. I knew what USA Triathlon was. But only well, all I knew about USA Triathlon at the time is they actually helped me through my journey. Like I, I needed resources like right. what do I do in transition? So like I'd go to USA Triathlon's website and find the information I needed. But I didn't really know what – so – it re- that's how I got into this. Is I was really passionate about the sport. I loved it. I did have a little bit of experience by starting the sport at ASU, hiring the coach. You know, they've won multiple national championships. I'm still a huge ASU fan as as a whole, like the entire athletics department. My my dad was. I uh, went to. He was a student athlete. He was a swimmer there. Okay. My mom went to school there. My grandfather worked there. So there's a lot of history there. Um, but for me, uh, the reason why I was willing to leave the job at ASU in my backyard is because I felt that triathlon wasn't headed in the right direction. When I looked into it, I, I really felt like what built, what got me into the sport was a sense of community, was a sense of like we're in this together, that there's a, a small but active community who cares. And what it felt like happened over the 10 years um, that I was in the sport was that it turned into more of a transactional relationship and a little more self-serving, selfish, including USA Triathlon. So I thought I could make a real impact. And, and when I look at being able to make an impact on a national and a global scale on a sport that I love, it became evident to me, this is the right job for me, even though I didn't know it until I started exploring it. Um, so no regrets about it. And actually, couldn't be happier right now with the decision that I made four years ago.
0: Well, that's good. That's probably good.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> when you say you felt like it wasn't headed in the right direction, um, because it was getting away from the community, do you think it's headed back in that direction? What it like? What is your sense and what have you guys done?
2: Yeah, absolutely it is. And that's probably the thing I'm most proud of outside of the the staff that we have here at USA Triathlon and what we built up here as an organization is that our community was hungry to get back together. They were, uh, they were sick of competing against each other because... What they found was that we kept getting smaller and smaller, like the races were, the sport was, because we were competing against each other instead of working together and collaborating. You mean
0: like races and brands and company?
2: Everything, plus coaches, across the entire sport, what I found, what happened, and, and I, I don't want to get too much into this, is that we... When, when any business, anything grows, uh, you have a bunch of other players that come in mm-hmm. and they start investing in that and jumping in, but they're doing it for the wrong reasons. And what happens to all these great people who came in for the right reasons, they get pushed to the side. So they start becoming a little bit more closed in and everybody started. So we stopped locking arms and saying, let's solve these problems together. Let's work together to grow the sport in this community. We started saying, oh, if you're going to do this, you're actually going to steal this data from you or do this from me. And they started really looking inward. And what I found was as I was talking to the leaders in our sport, they didn't actually see that that had happened because they were on the inside and it had evolved over time. Sure. And one of the big moments for us as our organization in sport was when we decided to lock arms with Ironman and come together. It was like my first day on the job. I went and met with Andrew, the CEO at Ironman, and said, "We got to do something to address the, you know, the the attrition in our sport." And then right. we came up with Time to Try. But I think that signaled to the industry that what many people blamed for the what the, the flaws in our sport, the issues were USA Triathlon and Ironman. Mm-hmm. And so by us coming together and quite frankly, it was and I know this for a fact from Ironman, I know it for a fact from us. It was about doing the right thing for the sport, because guess what? Doing the right thing for the sport also benefits companies like Ironman. Right. And so by growing the sport, it helps them long term. But it also, most important to me, helps our local race directors and the whole community thrive. So that signal, I think, started this process of collaborating and working together. And so what happened that next year, 2018, is everybody started uh, very bad phrase here, but opening up their kimonos and saying, look, we're, we're, we're all. We're, I was like, is
0: that a phrase? Yeah. <laughs>
2: we're, we're, we're we're we're, good point. we're, we're, we're not, we're, we're going to be transparent. We're going to be open and accessible. We're going to try to work together to solve problems instead of work against each other. And wow. 2018 was this incredible year where I had thousands of people reach out to me in our community to start working together. We started sharing best practices. We started connecting people. We started working and trying, we changed the way we operated from looking inward to looking outward and how we could help serve our community better. And so we saw that 2018, the sport really flattened out after having declines for many years. And then in 2019, we saw significant growth. And I really attribute that to not us at USA Triathlon, but the community actually saying we're going to get out of our own ways now and do what's right for the sport and work together, lock arms with clubs and race directors and coaches are all going to come together in communities. Race directors are going to come together with other race directors, plan out the calendar so they're not overlapping events, like all these little things that people don't even see and don't think matter actually matter, like figuring out that while the races that grew most in 2017 and 18 weren't actually adding more athletes to their existing races, they were adding more multi-sport events to Mm diversify. diversify their event offerings and, you know, marketing different communities and creating clinics. So we started seeing what worked in communities and trying to apply it to other communities that weren't seeing that. And that's where we saw most of the growth was through race directors really evolving and innovating and changing and improving and working with others. So that's probably the thing I'm most proud of uh, during my time here is that, I feel like we brought the sport back together. Now, I don't like my first year was all about, uh, quite frankly, our constituents calling me and complaining about each other. I have not had any of that in, a f- in th- probably three years. When they call me, it's really to help solve problems and try to work together to fix things. So I'd say that's a big change in our sport that nobody would really notice. Right. Nobody uh, would know. Okay. Yeah, and because it's behind the scenes.
0: And you and I have talked in the past about kind of, you know, there was this huge boom through like the early 2012 20, and then it and then triathlon declined a bunch. And like you said, it kind of level it was leveling off and starting to grow before COVID. Yes. So what yeah. is it? And I don't have a sense yet. and I don't know if you do of kind of what's going to happen after COVID. Um, is your sense that it's it's going to continue that going back up? Is it flat? Is it what, what are we going to see post COVID here?
2: Yeah. So that was uh, the wind was at our back, definitely going into 2020. And I and I made the mistake at the time. I remember talking to my staff and saying, this is our year. We have the Olympics and Paralympics we are sports growing we have the best business plan we've ever had we have all these uh, everything was lined up and we are we are running uh, at, a, at a, the highest level very optimum level like that i've never seen in an organization at the time and the sport was just and then obviously COVID hit and we uh, everything you know, the wheels came off and i think that um that was obviously a tough year for, for everyone in, in our country and around the world but for an event-based organization it was extremely tough because we didn't know when we were going to come back. So we really buried our, our put our head downs and said, OK, what can we do to help our community get back faster? Mm-hmm. And so we worked on return to racing uh, protocols and everything that really did with our race director, community coaches, clubs and others and our members to really get back to racing. Because we felt like outdoor our sport was Probably the safest sport you could do, with you know the the way that we separate the the we have time trial starts, all these different you know separations, no drafting, outdoors everything was set up for our sport to be one of the first to come back. And it came back very quickly. Um, It was actually the first event in most major cities across the country were triathlons. And that was not by mistake. That was us working with city managers, us bringing confidence that we were there to support our race directors, that they weren't alone, that we had these safety measures in place that were going to protect athletes and your community. Um, And so 2000. That 2020 was really the one group that, it, it, that got hurt the most and really we're still working on right now is youth because mm. youth sport essentially stopped. Right. So while adults, while we all had to stop, right, in many ways, we still were virtually training. We were still figuring out ways to get out there and compete. Youth is what's really uh, where we saw the biggest declines. And um, our adult, surprisingly, in 2021, we saw adult participation uh, reach essentially 2018 numbers not 2019, but 2018. So that was great. Um, our youth is our, our, our biggest focus right now. It's still a group that hasn't been fully come back. Um, and we feel like it's going to take a few years, but I've never been more optimistic about the future of our sport than I am right now. And that includes going into 2020. Um, you know, I think it was like 80 or 85% of our annual members, uh, uh, adult members stayed with us um, even through the pandemic, um, they were committed to continuing with the sport. Um, more new people are coming in because more people are getting outdoors. Um, so, to me, the the future is brighter than ever for our sport. And I actually think we have more of an opportunity now than ever to capture a new audience. And we're starting to see that.
0: I was about to say, what what plans, programs do you have in place to capture? We know there's been this running boom. We had this theory mm-hmm. last year that we would get them over triathlon. Didn't quite happen last year because we didn't, you know, come back as fast as fully as I think we hoped. What programs and plans does USAT have to get all those new people into triathlon?
2: Yeah. So it's not so much uh, you and national governing bodies like us die by putting a hundred programs out there because that's not actually what we're like, but that's what most do. Cause I think when I got here, I remember there was 150 programs we were doing of which like three were meaningful. Right. So what, what, what we have to do uh, and what we are doing is eliminating the barriers to entry. What's Um, like the biggest
0: barrier. This comes up a lot. What's the biggest barrier?
2: I mean, you did a great article on this recently about cost, right? So Mm -hmm. that's a big one. So the three barriers are swim, cost and the unknown which is education awareness of what to do mm-hmm. and so what we what we believe we have to do and we've done and we're going to continue to do is improve our resources for beginners you're doing a great job and and we are you know we have we have time to try we're we're doubling down on all of our beginner resources we're looking at ways at, when it comes to I, I thought your article was great about lowering the barrier to entry of uh, uh and and cost of you know re- doing a triathlon on six hundred dollars yeah yeah we well, stories are really important because yeah. i would never have gotten to this sport if if i didn't see pictures actually representation matters we say this all the time but i didn't see pictures of people on regular bikes. Mm-hmm. If I saw everybody on, so everything we do now, we use the lens of how would a beginner think about that? Um, uh, lowering the barrier to entry of swimming. We're, we're now, you know, doing free sanctioning for clinics and things that to bring people into the sport. So it's really not one thing, but a lot of things. And, and quite frankly, a lot of it's marketing and communication, which is not right. that sexy or exciting. It's the way we're talking. It's the way we're communicating. The messages we're doing is really beginner focused externally. It's a lot. And, and I think that that's what we're going to have to continue to do. But we're we're um, when we look at the boom and running five or 10 years ago, when we look at the boom in cycling that's happening right now, we're already seeing those numbers matriculate over to our sport. Now, what we have to do is figure out a way to capture them and retain them. So once they get here, what our biggest issue in our sport is there's a lot of one and dones. There's a lot of people come in and want to do a bucket list checklist triathlon. Uh, you know, I want to do that triathlon. Yeah. They're the ones that when we do our, re, when we've done our research around why people, why we have attrition in our sport, that's one of the main factors is the one and dones. And so what we have to do is work with our coaching community, which we've already changed our, our education to talk about training for a lifestyle versus a race. Like, so I wish it was a simple, like we can do this one program and it solves everything. It's every, so the two lenses that, Uh, Excuse me. There's three lenses we use for kind of every decision when it comes to external. It's like, how does this look for a beginner? How does what would a beginner think about whatever we're conveying? For diversity, equity, and inclusion, how does this, how does what we're conveying to the world, how does that perceived, and then it's around youth. Are we speaking to parents and others who can convince youth to come into our sport? And we use that lens with everything we communicate, market, and message out there. And so it, it, that's one, again, one tactic. But we have our whole business plan and our whole organizational plan is about growth of the sport. And so almost everything we do is attached to to, to growing the sport, and that includes bringing new people in. Um,
0: do you and ever so- wonder with the uh, beginner? Because I we spend a lot of time thinking about this too, with the like focus on beginners and making sure that they feel like welcome and you know it's not as hard as you think, it's not as mm. difficult. We can. Ha- Do you ever then worry that you're then alienating the like lifetime athletes the people that you want to retain? Because you also need to retain them, right, and keep no. them coming back. Like, and those are often different messages.
2: Yeah, I think that when you have an, a a sport that's inherently competitive, right. it's an individualistic sport like ours. I'm highly competitive. I would not <laughs> want to go to a race and get a ribbon for doing nothing, right? That's, right. that's like, that's me, but that's my, per, that's who I am. And our sport offers that to me. I don't, every race, if I win my age group, I'm just as satisfied. It doesn't matter what the message. Now, when you look at, when we look at our channels, which I don't want to get too boring with like <laughs> marketing, um, our, our, we look at our channels very differently when we look at our our existing members we do talk at that to them we use we provide them with information that's much more advanced not right. not and we and we and we what we do is we look at like let's say we have a, we do have a weekly email we make sure there's you know stuff for more advanced people stuff for more beginners. so we try to make it so there's something for everyone but what i found through my career especially when i was marketing soccer which was not a big sell in texas at the time <laughs> is you can't make you can't Market that's much different than. So the way we're going to retain our current members is by providing excellent customer service. Excellent. Being the ones they can count on for every step of their journey, providing them resources that are that they feel like are making them better at whatever they're doing. The way that we're going to attract new people in is by target marketing the people that we feel like can enter our sport. And what we found through all of our research, everything we've we've seen, is that the barriers to entry are stopping them from coming in. Mm -hmm. So we have to do everything we can to eliminate those barriers and communicate to them at a very beginner level. That does not mean through our channels to our members we have to act like it's, you know, triathlon for dummies for them. Right. And so we really have, we're not there yet in terms of being refined in our segmentation of our audiences. And we're, we're going to get there, but we've decided, and I saw this in soccer is that when we were trying to talk to everyone and satisfy everyone, no one heard us. We got lost when we started micro focusing for us in, in soccer was around the younger demo that 18 to 24 year old really you know, making it so we're not your, I would say we're not your father's old parents' Oldsmobile. We were not going to be the NFL. We were not going to be Major League Baseball. We were going to differentiate ourselves and really talk to that core demo we wanted. And that's what we're going to do in triathlon too. While we want to retain and we want our highly competitive people have been in sport a long time to know that we still understand them, which we do. If we want our sport to grow and actually make their experience better make these races 2000 instead of 200, make them feel even better when they're at the top of the podium. We have to do everything we can to attract new people. And a lot of times that means we have to eliminate barriers, which means we have to talk at a different level than they're used to. But what we found over the last few years is our members across the board appreciate what we're trying to do to capture new people and bring them into our sport. I've had very few people complain. But what what you said, Kelly, does come up a lot like, what about this one group? I'm like, you know, uh, if if we continue to just market to the same group we're going to continue to be a, a, a small a small sport that's very meaningful uh, versus a, a meaningful sport that's very large and it can make <laughs> most of America healthier can make us uh, make our communities uh, healthier and experience the outdoors more and get kids off video games and outdoors and all the great attributes that our, our sport offers that's what I'm focused on is growing that and I, and when I talk to our members or some of the people who Um, may not appreciate that, they tend to understand it, even if they don't fully agree with it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think they understand. There's also just like the hardcore triathletes, right? They've been here for a long time. You also mentioned in there of the three lenses you look at that one of them is also, you know, growing the diversity of the sport and like, what would somebody think if they see this, if they hear this? Um, I know you guys have certainly made that a focus in the last few years. Has, Has the needle moved? Has it, is it improving?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that when you look at Uh, And you and I have actually had this conversation one time is that where you make mistakes is where you start with the metrics and you start saying, how are we going to grow this by 1% or this? Instead of saying, what's the root of the problem in our sport? How do we solve some of those deeper issues? What I see when you have deep issues and whatever you're doing as a business or organization or product, what most people do is they solve the surface stuff to try to move a number. And what we, we analyzed by talking to experts and consultants and even from our own experiences is that um, we had to look at it as a lens as how do we work on improving this for the long term, for the betterment of the sports future and not just like moving something for 2022. We're going to do this and look better. Um, so we said, well, what we found is that it starts with leadership with us, is that we needed our board of directors, our volunteers, our executive team, our staff others to represent the uh, the America that we want our sport to represent. So we started at the top and we started with our board of directors that, you know, I think eight years ago it was like 11 men, one female or something like that um, to now it's, you know uh, it, you know, it was a majority female last year. I think it's now six and six. Um, we had our first two African-American board members nominated. We have Hispanic board member. We have a very uh, diverse board and that allows us, we have, we have first or, uh, national governing body to have uh, an elite para athlete as our chair. So we have diversity in our board that allows us to make strategic decisions because the board is responsible of strategy and funding, right? B- budgeting, very important things for the direction of the sport. So by having the right people in the room leading our long-term strategy, it allows decisions to be made that will impact Smaller things along the way. And so we also in our staff, we 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 still aren't perfect in our diversity, but we had never and most people don't know this, never had a female executive in the history of USA Triathlon, a sport that's comprised of 40 percent females, that females are leaders across our sport, across the world where there is equal prize money, equal distances, all these things that we're really proud of as a sport. But our organization never had a female executive, so now we have, you know, three females, three men, that are males that are on my executive team. We have it's just a different lens that we look at every decision that we make. Um, but we're not good enough, quite frankly, in those in, in that area. We're, we're improving it. We're 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 continuing to improve. Um, so when we look at what we've done, we have programs and all the fun things that people like to talk about. But I think what we still have to solve is, you know, we have education, we're actually launching free diversity, equity, and inclusion certification this year okay. that we're gonna work to make sure that, cause for us, what I always say is, we're only able to impact so much in Colorado Springs. If we go out and say, here's a program that we're developing, what we need to do is arm our community, which are the really the boots on the ground, the ones that make the sport grow, they make it go, they make everything happen in our sport. We need to arm them with the education awareness and do all the things that we've done as an organization over the four years that I've been here and arm them with all that so they can actually have success on the ground with improving diversity, equity, inclusion, making our sport more welcoming, more accessible, putting together their own on the ground grassroots programs that grow diversity, that make people, that retain athletes, that bring people in and make them feel welcome, as I said. So that's our next step right now As we've really been looking inward and now we're starting to look outward. And that's when we're gonna see, see things even improve more. But I think with the, the one thing during the pandemic that allowed us to do is look at who we are as an organization, who we are as a sport and commit to what we want we want to be going forward so we created a long-term strategic plan through la 2028 and the only change we made to our existing guiding principles principles was adding diversity equity inclusion and access is one of our guiding principles for everything that we do and so what that's done for us is if you notice most of the activity that comes out of us is is focused on improving diversity equity inclusion we've had multiple conferences we've done all these things to try to figure out and try to arm our community with all the tools they can they can at at their at their disposal that we can provide to them so they can continue to make our sport more diverse, which it's this is gonna be a long term build. When you when you inherit anything that's, that's already been built and it's built a certain way, like a, um, you know, if your brand, the perception of your brand is what it is, there's systemic issues with over history, with pools being closed, with people not having access, there's all these issues and we're here today and we're saying we wanna solve all of them. <laughs> it's right. very complicated, you have to take it one piece at a time and I feel like really proud of the work we've done but we've only scratched the surface. The good news is, Kelly, is that I feel like we're doing the hard work that is going to set us up for long term success versus kind of the surface stuff that looks good from a press release.
0: OK. All right. So so what I'm hearing is that we should expect now that we're go now that you've like looked internally and looked ex- now you're looking externally, we should expect more and more of that, like the little things, the grassroots, like. I mean, I've talked to lots of people on your board and stuff like the stuff where you like go out into the community and do a clinic to help your women's only triathlon expand into new communities or you do a pool only swim and like all that kind of we should see more and more of those like small things coming up.
2: Absolutely. And that that's to us. That's why it's so important to arm our community with what the, the how to's and what to do, um, because the good the, the our community is like open and wanting this to happen. We've been we they are very active when we we sent out an email saying like, hey, who would like to volunteer for diversity, equity, and inclusion? We had 200 people respond and say, I want to participate like we everybody. when when we look at Max Fennel winning the bracket a few years ago of like the, the best moment in triathlon history is the first uh, black triathlete, male triathlete in America like. That means that that says something about our community's desire to make this happen. Right. And so this isn't just us doing it. It's everyone saying that it's important. And our community is totally latched onto that. And now you will see more of those actions taking place on the local level. And by the way, they're already taking place because people have been doing this for years. We're just taking their best practices and saying this is what everyone would be. You know, if you want to improve, increased diversity in your community, in our sport, these are the thing the steps you can take.
0: Right. This is what we've seen has worked. You mentioned <laughs> the... Uh elevate 2028 strategic plan and i think a lot of people i mean national governing bodies are hard to get your head around because you know your funding you're very tied to olympic paralympic that's where your funding comes from but at the same time everything you've talked about so far to date has been this conversation about age groupers but that's not actually where your funding comes from so it's very complicated how do you really see those things tied together how do you see the olympics and the paralympics and the regular athlete all work together
2: yeah, so when it comes to, so we don't get, I mean, we get very little funding actually, quite frankly. I mean we get like less than eight, 7% of our entire budgets funded through hmm. the USOPC. So most of it's, you know, self funded. And we're not, unlike every other national governing body around the world, we get zero government funding. So
0: that's what well, most like, people know. Yeah, yeah, not in the US, yeah.
2: Not in the U.S., yes. and In the U.S., we don't get government funding. Everywhere else, they, they do. And so with that, I actually like that. So it makes us more entrepreneurial. It makes us so we're not really tied to anything. And what our focus on at the core of our sport is to grow the sport and provide uh, support and resources for those who participate and, and, are, and are part of our sport. And so, yes, the Olympics and Paralympics are, are critically important because it's the tip of the sphere. But I I don't look at them as it's not an either or. Where do we spend most of our time? It's on growing the sport. It's mm-hmm. age groupers. It's, um, but I have a whole uh, high performance team that their entire focus is on high performance and getting the best athletes to, to grow in the pipeline and elevate. So what we've done really well, I think, though, is been able to integrate resources and support for high performance so they're not on an island anymore. That we have okay. marketing support, financial support. We have all this support around them so they can focus on driving our, you know, helping our elite athletes. Um, but most of my time, probably 85% of my time is focused on age group youth, um, age group athletes and, and most, mostly helping our race directors and coaches and clubs have success. So that's what most of my time and our organization's time. But I have one business unit that's solely focused on making sure the top athletes in our country can reach the pin, reach the pinnacle.
0: Right. Okay. Right. So you, so there, there's, cause I know, I mean, like you said, we're going to 2020, you were like, this is our year, the Olympics. So they are they're separate, but I—I I mean, I talk to you marketing people all the time. You guys use the Olympics for sure to inspire new athletes, get more people out, capitalize on that, all that kind of thing.
2: Oh yeah, it's—it's it's not uh, when I'm—I'm I'm very patriotic, and okay. a lot, of, and, and and I think that though that anything that inspires you to do something that you wouldn't normally do helps our sport grow. And our sport is an inspirational sport where you have to be inspired to decide to buy a bike and commit all this right. time and learn all these things. So yes, the Olympics and Paralympics are uh, something that we utilize to help grow the sport. Um, I will say that we've had a ton of success in high performance. I mean, we won the most medals in in Tokyo. We had probably the best year in the history of, of our, our athletes performed at the highest level they ever have last year. So what, what our high performance team and how we're Working with them, we believe is working. Um, But I'm not. uh, I want to be clear here that we can, you know, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. So while we want uh, our, while we invest a ton of money and resources into our elite athletes. It's money now that we're getting through sponsors like Toyota came in and we were able to double our funding for our Paralympic, our Paralympians and our athletes because Toyota came in to support them. Mm-hmm. And so that's how we're really thinking about everything now is how do we support our elite athletes at the highest level um, and and make sure we're the best at that, but also make sure that we're, we're doing our core focus, which is our mission and our vision to grow the sport.
0: You mentioned so you. Only get you get some funding from the USOPC based on medals and performance all so that you get some sponsorship funding to fund your high performance. Obviously, overall you guys are a membership organization and that's yep. how you're funded. That did. There were no events, right? And most people are members when there are events, so that had to have taken a hit funding wise during COVID. Um, how did you guys adjust? What 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 financial adjustments did you make?
2: Yeah, significant ones. So you know we our our, our staff shrunk by about twenty five percent. We sold our building that we owned um, to be able to, to to make payroll and do some basic things um, that we needed to do. Last year, we cut all spending. Uh, we, um, you know, essentially went out and fundraised for the sport. We did whatever we could to to keep the lights on. And uh, the good news is we're in good shape now. Good financial shape. We're actually in as, as almost as good a financial shape as uh, before the pandemic, so we've we fought back and we battled back through increased donations and increased sponsorship. Um, and so, net, what what my goal was four years ago is to diversify our revenue streams, so we're not putting all putting all the expectations and requirements on our community. Like, let's just charge race directors more, increase our our membership. If you look at the decisions we made over the last four years, it's we like we've decreased costs for race directors we've lowered we pretty much try to do everything to lower costs and the way we've been able to do that and still maintain our same levels of funding is we've increased our our sponsorship revenue we've increased our um, uh, philanthropy our individual philanthropy and that's really how i think that we're going to grow going forward is to try to get more corporate businesses involved and get more individuals of the capacity to give involved we've gotten more six figure individual gifts in the last three months than we've gotten in our entire history of our organization. So individuals now are giving, Yeah, we've gotten, I think, six $100,000 or higher donations in the last three or four months. And so we're starting to see that our community step up and want to give philanthropically, which is awesome to see. Um, So for us, I think that when I look at our, uh, you know, last year, the last two years, There's a lot of sleepless nights for me. I had, you know, a lot of uh, I was really carrying the burden of our staff and our sport on my back. And I didn't I try not to show it, but it was real like it was happening. And over the last year, all I've done is gain everyday confidence in the, the value of our sport, the value of our organization and what we do for the sport and knowing that we are ready to face anything. You know, give us ten variants. Give us whatever you want. We are don't give us
0: ten variants.
2: All right, we are ready as a sport though, not just as a sport to handle anything that comes our way. Um, And this actually made us stronger, even though it's hard to like it was hard to see it at the time. We're more equipped. We're more innovative. And this isn't me, USA Triathlon. I'm talking about the sport Mm -hmm. is more equipped to evolve and evolve into what we need to do as the future. We were. Um, in some ways, set in our ways as a sport. And now we're completely open to evolving and changing. And that's what we need if we really want to grow.
0: So you talked about what the biggest challenge was when you started. It was kind of like yes. the competitive, what's the biggest challenge right now?
2: Yeah, I think right now it's it's making sure that we, um, when we, y- youth I've already talked about, so I'll skip yeah. that. That's, that's number one challenge is, is bringing the youth back and, and getting more youth. Um, but it's really about making sure that our, our race director community is supported like they never have been supported before. We see right now that the race directors that have, st- that, I mean, most of them have, we had 3,500 races last year, which is okay. just shocking, right? Normally we have about 4,000 to 4,300. So there wasn't a big drop off. Um, but that's my biggest, I, I wake up and st- what, I, uh, what, I st- what keeps me up at night right now is making sure our race directors are successful. They're actually the heartbeat of the, of the sport. And, and last year was really about bringing clubs together a lot like yeah. helping, of course, the sport come back, but our clubs are really hurting and we felt like building that sense of community through clubs is really important. Our coaching community is stronger than it's ever been. Actually, in some ways, the pandemic helped them and a lot of ways evolve quickly, go virtual. like, And now they're ready. They all have hybrid models now where it's in-person right. and virtual. They, so it's made some parts of our sport much better. The race director community and helping them come back and be stronger than ever is probably the thing that we're, we're most focused on right now. Um, outside of all the things I mentioned, youth, diversity right. and many of so your focus
0: on everything but the race
2: directors yeah. that's the one of- race directors are successful the sport's successful coaches are successful uh, we're successful as an organization clubs are successful that's the that's the thing that makes everything work so for athletes out there that are listening to this like know that they have a very tough job that they're doing everything they can to support you and give you the best experience and they are not doing this for money so just know that going into this, they're doing this because they're passionate about it. So give them the benefit of the doubt as you go into this next year. We're all coming back in a big way. Um, and, and that's really what, what keeps me up at night is making sure we're providing every, every level of support to them so they can be successful um, and make sure they offer our athletes the best experience as possible.
0: All right. So going to your plans this year. What races are you going to do this year? What's your favorite race then?
2: Ooh, this year, let me think here. So this is one of those years, actually, I didn't follow my own typical (laughs) standard advice, right? I usually map out my entire schedule in December.
0: No, I don't Um, think anyone did that this year.
2: Yeah, it was weird. It was like, it caught up with me quick. And, and, 2020, I felt like I was mapping out my next year, the entire year, like where I was like, next year, I'm gonna do this. Well, you know, I was, I, I didn't I was because in 2020, I was supposed to do big races, like I had Boston Marathon, I had all these big races on the calendar that I was gonna do. So this year, uh, my wife and I are gonna do the Oregon 70.3, the new race there, which I'm excited about. We're gonna actually do a, a family trip and drive out there and from Colorado Springs and make it a big week. Um, and I love doing all the races in Boulder. So I'll do as many of those in Loveland as another like in our community here. Mm-hmm. I'll probably pick one in Arizona. So those ones I like to do, um, not last minute, but I like to kind of jump into them. Like there's something fun. Our staff's all doing a race together this year. Um, I do want to, my goal in the next two years is to do a 100-mile trail run. Um, So I'll start training for that at some point here. Um, yeah, for me though, it's just about getting out and swim, biking, running every, every, every week though, and getting out there and, and the races is the cherry on top. I'm highly competitive by the way. So like if I have a, if I have a bad race, I, I, I hold to that a little bit too much because. probably. Um, and when I have good races, I probably think I'm, I'm better than I am. Um, but I, so I do re once I do it, once I get ready to compete in a race, I'll probably do three to four triathlons this year, three to four trail runs, and then maybe a, a road race or two.
0: Okay. My understanding yeah. of doing a hundred milers, like the hardest part, is convincing all your friends to come and crew for you, and all the logistics <laughs> that go into it. So.
2: The good news is I have a pretty good community of about four hundred thousand, you know, members and multiple <laughs> people that seem to want to jump in and help when when I need it. Like I would help with them. Um, yeah. And go. I got three little girls who who may not be the best crew. Actually, I have a quick story which you can delete out of this if it's not. That- <laughs> But I, when I did my 50 mile trail run last year, my wife came out. And she was my my crew, um, and it was in Texas. And you know, I basically every 10 miles I was going to see her, and um, I only I was going to just carry enough because I wanted to be light, just enough for the first 10 miles, and. So we had a, you know, a two hour drive to the race early in the morning. Um, we get there and she's exhausted and I'm, I'm tired, but I'm going to start racing at five in the morning. So I go out and do my first 10 miles and actually went with the pro field just so I could like hold on to the fast people for a little while to make me go a little faster than I wanted to. So I got to the first 10 miles much faster than she was expecting. So she was taking a little nap still in the car. She's going to kill me when she hears this. <laughs> um, so I missed my first my first, uh, you know, my first re refresh of all my, my fluids and everything. So I didn't get my first refill of anything for the first 20 miles. Okay. So I, I, next time I'll make sure I have a backup. And I love my wife. She's usually good at this stuff, but that was one <laughs> the, the whole next 10 miles. I was like, all right, next time I got to have two people on my crew.
0: <laughs> oh, it's such a, it's such a team community thing doing these like big ones. You got to have a whole, a whole squad, you know,
2: that's probably what's great about it though. And I think that's, also why I fell in love with triathlon it's 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 a challenge. I mean you have to you have to get everyone my my family has to commit to training. My wife does triathlons and long distance mm-hmm. races like we have to balance our family schedule around it. We actually have a chalkboard in our yes. that we have uh, in our uh in our kitchen that we have our weekly schedule and it's like my training schedule, her training schedule, kids' schedules, and everything. And we, you know, our whole family, it's a—it's it, part of what I think I love. I mean, that's what I love about our sport is, you know, you have to, it's not just you, even though it's an individual sport, it takes a community, and that's what's, that's what's fun. And I feel like that, again, what we talked about at the beginning of this podcast, that's what was missing. Right. We lost our way with our community, and people felt it. I felt it as an athlete. I felt mm-hmm. there was something missing, and I couldn't quite capture. I knew something wasn't going right, and I didn't know enough about it, but I just, it was a feeling we all had. It was like something just doesn't. It doesn't feel like the community we had, and I heard this from hundreds oh, yeah. of people. And then, and then when I took the job, I saw it firsthand. I'm like, "Oh, wait a second! It's us at USA Triathlon. It's oh, wait a second. You're <laughs> the problem, not like you know." And so that's where I could only control and fix what I could control. But I found that when the biggest entities like USA Triathlon are are a big part of the problem, and you're willing to look yourself in the mirror and fix those things, and it allows everyone else to do
0: the same. Oh, definitely. I left uh, triathlon for like two or three years, in the like 2012. I came back. I was like, what happened? <laughs> so
2: Heard that from so many people. You know?
0: So, all right. You told us your, your plans for the year. Tell us what is the one big thing that you're looking forward to with USAT this year? Like one big plan you guys have.
2: Yeah. Um, one thing that I would say is not that sexy, but is, is a, is a, is a really important thing for us is that our digital ecosystem is terrible, right. our website, and we don't really have an app. It's like, so we're going to start, uh, we're going to spend a lot of time, we've always been improving our tech because our tech here is like, Vic, uh, our chief of staff, Victoria Brumfield, said it perfectly that it was like, we decided over the last 10 years, this is like before we got here, that like we were just going to keep stacking technology projects on top of them, like kind of like building Frankenstein, like one step at a time. And what we found is that those pieces didn't all connect. And then we just had so many technology issues that we've been mostly focused on internal technology issues. Mm -hmm. And so this year we're going to start, you know, it'll it'll be a 2023, like our people will notice it then. But we're going to spend a lot of time this year improving our website, improving our app, relaunching them, um, and spending a lot of time looking at our digital assets because we feel like that we're doing a disservice to our community if we don't have a a place where people can convene, get information, make it really easy. Um, So that's one of the the many things that we're going to do. Another really boring um, uh, thing that that is critically important is we have significant requirements now that we have to live up to for SafeSport uh, Mm -hmm. certification, for the USOPC audit. So we are, I can tell you right now, the not that maybe people care about this, but we feel really proud of our compliance measures in our organization that you never have to worry as a member, as a constituent, that your sport, the national governing body, is cutting corners in any way, that we're we're going to be making sure that we're the leader in this. So a lot like that's a boring thing. And the, the, uh, the digital ecosystem, I think, actually, the, di- people-
0: the, di- the data digital thing. I actually logged into my membership yeah. account hub thing the other day. And I was like, oh, so. Yeah, I know, I know kind of that's going to hold, there, but me.
2: it's not as fast as I, I like. But there, so we actually we narrow our. Um, I like to have only about 10 priorities a year, because I think once you have more than that as an organization, and then there are obviously things a lot that layers below that. And so those are two of our our key priorities, including youth framework, DEIA, like when it talks about, uh, you know, really revamping our youth and juniors program and looking at our talent ID and development for the younger population with a focus on 2028. Um, So we have a lot, but we've narrowed it down to 10 because I think it's most important for us to be more focused than it is to try to, you know, make everyone happy and do a million different things and not do anything well.
0: I know one of the things with your whole tech and overhauling your backend was that you didn't have good membership data because horrible, because people are like writing on a piece of paper at some reason. Right. Is it, is the membership report coming back? Can I, can I count yeah, on
2: this? So, yeah, it's starting to get there. I think that what we're seeing is that the, there was uh, mistakes that that our organization made over time. Like we, we, When we launched one system in 2012, it deleted all the records from anything before 2012. Then when I got here in 2017 to 18 and we went in and did an audit, we did a a data audit and found out that all the data that we had been uh, providing to the public was flawed. It was wrong. Um, we were doing duplicate memberships. We were, we we hadn't gone through, and actually didn't. We just released numbers based on what people in Excel spreadsheets, and there were like eleven Excel spreadsheets, and that's how we released it. So we're finally starting to integrate, and, and we have a data warehouse now. But we have a, a group now that's focused on on improving our data and our research. And really, what we look at is what's the most useful information. So it's good for us from you know know our membership and that. Right. But what we found out is our community doesn't actually care about those things. What they care about are trends are what's next on what our members are, are what their needs are and are they being met. And so we're gonna do a much we're gonna do a much more comprehensive report when we get to it. That's gonna really we're right now we're working with gathering information from our community on what's important to them. What information do they actually want to know? What would be helpful to them to better operate their businesses and then what's also important for media and other people to know. Yeah, so I was yeah, like I feel like yeah. I ask
0: you this all the time, like how many yeah. members? What are the demographics? Yeah. What are
2: the yeah yeah and we're, and I, and that's I think the most frustrating thing is I'm somebody who doesn't like to, re- as most people should, but I find that's not the case. I'm not going to release numbers until I know they're accurate. And and that's one thing that we've done in the past is we'd be like, we think it's good. Let's go out with it. And I want, in order to build credibility as an organization, you have to be right most of the time, and almost all the time when it comes with facts and data. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're we're getting there. But we're yeah, we're not there yet. That's it's one of those things that's on our priority list, but not in the top ten, quite frankly. Okay, not we, in the top there's, ten. There's,
0: okay.
2: Yeah, there's other things that are right now ahead of it, but it's it is a work stream that's being worked on. Just so you know, okay. so you'll, you'll be happy about that.
0: I know this is just like a yeah. personal thing. I just like yeah. want that back. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us, and uh, and good luck with the ten priorities and the the races this year. <laughs> Well, the, 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 Kelly,
2: I want to thank you for uh, your partnership, too. And I think you saw the vision early on. And our partnership is a good example, again, of, of collaborating in our sport and coming together to make sure that we're each doing what we're best at and supporting our sport. So instead of uh, to to the listeners on here, who are also many of them are, are also your, your subscribers and our members, is that, you know, we made the decision to come together so we could produce the best content for our members, for our sport, rather than us doing a little magazine that was pretty good, Triathlete doing a very good magazine. We decided to come together and provide the best resource in the sport. And I think that's just one example. Yes, um, is it the best business decision for both of us? Probably not. Who knows? But is it the best decision for the sport? Absolutely. Will it make the product better? Definitely. And that's what we're committed to at USA Triathlon: is not to do what's best for our organization, but to do what's best for the sport. And I think our part, I know our partnership with Outside, is, is a great example of kind of what we've talked about through this: is the collaboration works, and us coming together works. And this is another example of that and I hope you see, and I know our membership because I've got a lot of positive emails.
0: Oh, about good. Good. I only get the ones that things aren't working right. So I was about to say, I know there's things we can improve. We're working on it. So. Yeah,
2: well, I, I get both. But I think that you know when when I look at the product and the value, there's no doubt in my mind we're doing so much more for our community right. by having this partnership. Um, the little operational flaws, they'll, we'll get through those. We'll uh, figure it, it out. Yeah. So thanks a lot, Kelly. That's all I'm going to say. And thanks to your team for being such good partners to us.
0: Great. Thank you. All right, cheers. Thanks to Laura Sadal and to Rocky for chatting with us. And we'll be back with interviews every Wednesday on the Triathlete Magazine feed. Hope you're looking forward to this year as much as we are. Keep training and keep listening.